Hey everyone, and welcome to the Slug Club, where all things Harry Potter and mischief are managed. Justin here, Hufflepuff Prefect and Butterbeer Aficionado. Thanks again for joining us for part two of our Scrofungulus Super Spreader episode, where myself and others share our thoughts and opinions over the newly released Secrets of Dumbledore film. And now, you may be wondering, wait Justin, what exactly is Scrofungulus, and why is there a part two to this episode? Well. Believe it or not, I too had no knowledge of this condition prior to being exposed to it in our most recent episode. But poor Abby, our Ravenclaw friend, right there in the middle of the episode started sprouting these gross gooey tentacles all across her neck and chin. We got out of there right away and we stopped everything that we were doing right when we saw all these tentacles popping out left and right. We left the meeting place and we made sure Abby got right over to the hospital wing. And I do have good news to report. Despite Abby being treated there at the hospital wing for several weeks now, Madame Pomfrey said she is expecting a full recovery, which is great to hear. I know the rest of the Slug Club joins me in sending Abby our best wishes and a speedy recovery too. Don't forget to sign our Slug Club group Get Well Soon card for her. I'll be sending my owl out here in the coming days so Abby knows we're all thinking of her. If you'd also like to send her a personal card, you can address your letter to Abby, fourth bed to the left, attention, hospital wing, Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Send your owls and she'll be sure to get it. I know that she'll appreciate it and um, know that everyone is thinking of her. But with that being said, Hillary, Rob, myself have all been tested since our last meeting and luckily all of us have received confirmed negative results. So no scrofungulus, at least as of yet, our forefathers would definitely be proud. But without further ado, let's dive into our Secrets of Dumbledore Part 2 review. Hope you enjoy it as much as we did. And as always, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Let's jump in. One thing that I really did appreciate about the movie was they uncovered a little bit more of the mystery as far as Eliana's death and how that all... Ariana? What did I say? Eliana. You said Eliana. Oh. Eliana is a character from our D&D group, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd. But we, we got a, a, a bigger... They uncovered the mystery of her death. Um, I thought it was interesting, though, that... Dumbledore and Aberforth were really the ones that were arguing amongst each other rather than Grindelwald being a part of the conflict. It sounded like he was more of an observer. They said in the movie, he's just laughing. The yeah, entire he just time. laughed. That's what he said. He probably kicked it off. And then when Aberforth came in, it was really just him and Albus going at mm -hmm. it. Well, I'm sure Albus like went to do. Grindelwald's defense. And then Aberforth was like, you're picking his side? Like, really? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, your boyfriend over me? Mm -hmm. I'm Mr. your brother. Mr. Mikhail Skullhooka? Yeah. And you know he showed him that Skullhooka. Skull you know Albus and Gellert were smoking out of the Skullhooka a little bit. Ooh, it's dark. And and then and Gellert was like, Albus, let me show you what I see as our future. And it's like, here, hand me Mikhail's head. <laughs> I'm like, taking over the world. Like who's because okay. they met that. in 1899. That was the year after. It was the summer. The summer of 1899 is when they would have met, right? Because it was after Albus had graduated and returned home from Hogwarts. Right. They're so old. Like Albus is so old. No wonder why he was like, yeah, just, you know, what, Snape 
just end it now. <laughs> it's my time. Yeah, he's like 115 by the time of his No big death. deal. Just come on, Draco. Do the thing. I was kind of disappointed with the way that the little vial of their blood, the way that it went down and like broke at the end. Yeah. I feel like it didn't, like it was supposed to be unbreakable, but then, you know, I kind of... Surprise, surprise. It kind of tracked with JK's whole thing of, you know, family, the love of family will overcome everything, which, you know, I think it's a fair point to make, but really that had to be what broke it this time like come on we already saw the love of harry's mom saving him the love of a mother with narcissa saving him from voldemort and now the love of a brother saving and breaking this curse that's supposed to be unbreakable or not curse i should say like a bigger than an unforgivable or not unforgivable unbreakable Unbreakable vow vow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it feels like it's bound with an unbreakable vow you know it kind of has that kind of feel with it I'm going to disagree with you, Hillary, for this reason, because in this movie, I see that this isn't just a story about Fantastic Beasts and Grindelwald, but it's a story about the relationship of two pairs of brothers. And you see that there's lots of parallels between the Scamander brothers, Newton and Theseus, and Aberforth and Albus. Yeah. So, like, you see different parallels between them. Like, for one, Albus and, and Theseus both forsake their families to possess power. Albus takes off with Geller, Theseus uh, goes off and, you know, sells out to the ministry. And that and that's a source of frustration for Aberforth and Newt. And Aberforth and Newt are both socially awkward people who prefer solitude. Yes, and they then definitely you see, are. In both of those brother relationships, a significant other gets between them. Look at that. I you've like got, this. You've got Theseus and Newt and, and the Lita Lestrange stuff, and then you've got Geller Grindelwald coming between Albus and Aberforth. But also what I loved about the final scene in the Breaking of the Blood Pact was it was a redemption of Aberforth and Albus's guilt that they feel over the death of their sister because you see there's parallels in that conflict as well where there is a once again a conflict between the Dumbledore brothers and Geller Grindelwald and there is an obscurial who is also there present, whose life is in danger. But this time, instead of the obscurial family member, the Dumbledore Obscurus, being killed, you have the Dumbledore brothers saving, saving the obscurious the family member. Ooh. You know, with uh, I mean, I mean, I just got chills. I just got chills. Wow. They, they redeemed themselves and assuaged like all the guilt that they had felt for decades of what had happened to their sister, not being there for their sister and protecting and defending their sister. Now they have another moment where the life of Credence is on the line and the brothers join together. And for some reason, they're able to block a killing curse. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that works. You know, <laughs> and once again, soft magic. System. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what, with you saying all of that, I really, you've converted me and I do agree that's usually the way it works on this podcast. But I still have another, like a qualm with it. If it's that big of a deal, and if it was that big of a deal to like the screenwriters, why didn't they make it outright? Why didn't they expressively say that and make it more of a big deal if that's what she was trying to portray? You're referring to when Dumbledore is like, oh, let's just call it fate. Yeah, it's he could have had a moment, right? Where he could have said, mm-hmm. wow, I'm, you know... Aberforth, I'm so thankful that you and I got to go through this, blah, blah, blah. But instead, he kind of said, oh, let's just call it fate. Like, you know, and we still don't like know when out. the blood pact was made. If mm-hmm. the blood pact was made before or after the Ariana incident. Mm. We still don't know. Maybe maybe the, maybe the Dumbledore felt like he couldn't go against Grindelwald because of the blood pact. But Mel, I've, 
now I think JK Rowling, I think she was kind of, she had her hands tied in a sense, because 70 years later, we still see that Albus and Aberforth still have kind of this mixed relationship where Aberforth yeah. still has this resentment towards his older brother. And we can see that they really have not mended things. And maybe that's why they don't have that moment with each other in this movie. Maybe that's why Albus kind of shrugs it off. It hints towards how they resolve the conflict in the first place. Let's not address it. Let's let's just say it's fate and it is what it is. I'm kind of glad that they didn't address it because I feel like that would just been cheesy on on the nose. I mean, was this a critically acclaimed film? No, <laughs> like by any means, right? I only enjoyed it because I enjoy the Harry Potter universe. And that's the only reason I like the movie. Mm-hmm. I love Newt's commander because I think he's just an interesting person. And I can totally see how Luna Lovegood would marry his like grandson, right? His grandson, I, Rolf. Yeah. Yeah. I like just how he is. I like his mannerisms. I love all the little creatures, but other than that, like, that was an okay movie. I kind of got the sense that I felt like I was watching The Last Jedi all over again whenever I was watching this movie. Because oh, no. no, no. And we're talking about like, oh, well, I like it because I like Harry Potter. It's kind of like The Last Jedi for me. I like The Last Jedi because I like Star Wars. There's that parallel of the foundation has been set. You see episode seven, The Force Awakens, and they have all these different things that are leading up. And it seems like all of that is just thrown to the wayside in Mm. The Last Jedi. And I felt like that was kind of this movie, too, where we have a lot of these unresolved things. And then it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is different now. Oh, yeah, this has changed. Yep. Where's Nagini? Yeah. Here's this. Here's this side character that nobody really cares about. Oh, yeah. Here's this other character. Here's this other two dimensional character. Um, Rob, you had mentioned Nagini is just missing. And she's not there, like, never not even mention it. Yeah, it seemed like Nagini was going to have a more prominent role. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe that's just the way that they wrote for the second movie. But we also see like Nicholas Flamel. And like, what was his yep, connection? What was his connection at all to the whole storyline apart from this? And how did he know Lolly? You know, all these things that are just kind of like left alone and forgotten about. We see like Yusef even in this movie where it's like his main motivation was because his sister died and this prophecy of what is it? Wings of the water or wings from the water or something like that, that they were talking about in crimes of Grindelwald. And it's like, Oh yeah. Yusef is in this movie too, but he has no critical importance of the plot in any way. Even though he goes over to Grindelwald, he's going to go to Nuremberg. Dumbledore is going to send him over there. And his plot felt really weird. And you it think felt that really he's going to do something really yes. important over there at Nuremberg, and they like wipe his memory, and they're like, "Okay, we're all waiting to see what he does over there. Is he going to break credence out? Is he going to like sabotage Grindelwald?" Oh, would have been so much better. <laughs> but literally, literally nothing, nothing happens. Literally nothing Hangs happens. Out, has tea. That's it. I think they tried to frame it like, "Oh, maybe he's actually gone over to Grindelwald's side," but it doesn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like, it it's, doesn't feel like a surprise when he eventually, you know, in the last moment in the election day that he turns around and knocks out like five of Grindelwald's toadies. Like, it didn't feel like, oh, he was one of them. I was like, well, yeah, of course he was. doing <laughs> that. Like, I was like, oh, finally, now he actually does something. Yeah, I would have liked even more if he was like over in Nuremberg 
and Grindelwald had put him under the Imperius curse and like used him as like a counter spy or something like that would have been cool but like like you said Ooh. there was nothing really happening and we he see just it with, hung out we see it with Queenie too like Queenie in the second movie has this turn in character where she can read minds but then she doesn't read Gellert's mind about how he was manipulating all these people in this speech in France and you know she she switches sides well, regardless, maybe, he has, maybe he has Aquamans. Yeah, maybe maybe he's practiced in Aquamans. He, uh, he has to, right? He maybe. must be if tough Voldemort to, I mean, was. Yeah. I maybe. mean, if you're that much of a psychopathic manipulator, you got to practice oculancy. You can't let people see through the facade. Or mm -hmm. his brain is that like Bella true. Swan, no thoughts, head empty. And <laughs> that's <laughs> it, right? <laughs> like nothing. Another problem with Mads as uh, Grindelwald is it feels like, I don't know if Mads Mickelson has actually had work done, but man, he sure he's looks like smooth. he's had some Botox or something. It looks like he just had Botox and just had some lip in injections done. Got those pouty lips. Like, it feels like he can't make much facial feature, you know, like like the, the expressions. It feels like, like Carrie very Fisher. stiff. Nah, and you have to go save our boy. On, you gotta make sure you bring him back on. You're still wearing the same jacket, huh? <laughs> Han's like, oh, you still you're still eating a whole carton of cigarettes every morning, <laughs> like, chomping on them like carrot sticks. Oh but we goodness. see with Queenie too, like she's been she has become Grindelwald's second, almost kind of like third in command, where he's manipulating her, but that she's like risen amongst the ranks to be this important figure in his yeah huge army. asset. And I feel like she just all of a sudden she sees Jacob and it's like, oh, yeah, everything I've been doing for the last six years, I'm just going to leave it all behind. And I feel like that was like just it it didn't do justice to the commitment that she made in the second movie. And it didn't do justice to the things that she has done since the second movie. I felt like her redemption arc was almost non-existent. It was like, OK, I'm going to pretend like I don't see Jacob. And he's not going to talk me out of what I'm trying to do for us. Yeah. <sighs> Jacob deserved better. Like, you can't... Poor guys pining over this lady for, like, seven years, right? Like, just heartbroken over it. She doesn't acknowledge him when he passes her. He tries to get her attention twice. And then, in an alleyway, they kiss, and it's all fine. It's all fine. I don't like that. I wanted more out of their story. I wanted, you know, a little bit of conflict. Like, hold right. her accountable for falling for Hitler, essentially, like, right? Walski's too good of a guy. He's the pure-hearted guy. Pure-hearted, loyal. You know, I thought as a Hufflepuff, you would appreciate that. I do, <laughs> but, like, you should be accountable for your actions. You can forgive someone, but they shouldn't do it again. But also, oh, Kowalski, poor guy. I also great, see how he held guy. on, right? Like a great guy. He has integrity. He's loyal. He's a Hufflepuff for sure. Maybe even a Gryffindor. I think, you know, he was an awesome I character. I Gryffindor a Hufflepuff. Mm -hmm. I just don't I wanted Queenie to be more. I wanted I her I... to turn it around. Yeah, it, it, I think it goes back to it didn't feel like they really addressed the the time gap. And there's not even like a year at the bottom. Like, you know what I mean? It's not like Germany or China, 1932. You know, it's like we had to look up what the time, what the year was. Right. Uh, they could have done that know. easily. Just and like there's no the flashbacks, time. no references to what they've been doing. 
or no reference or understanding of how long it's been because you got to think Newt hasn't seen Kowalski in, in all that time either mm -hmm. since, right. uh, you know, everything that took place in Paris and Kowalski's just been living his life. Uh, going back to the Queenie thing, I think she joins up with Grindelwald for the same reason that Albus Dumbledore does. That Dumbledore kind of, and this is what he says to Harry in the Deathly Hallows, talking about his relationship with him, talks about how he saw the monster that he was becoming. Or he asks, like, did I see the monster he was becoming? I, I think I closed my eyes, or I simply closed my eyes to it. And both of them follow Grindelwald because of love. Well, I mean, it's Albus's love for him, but Queenie, it was her love for Kowalski. And she's in this, you know, American culture that doesn't, uh, that has illegalized muggle mingling. You know, they wouldn't have been big fans of Bella Venus's uh, Switch and Flick app, but they have all of these different, you know, hangups that are taking place. Kowalski is kind of like, I, I don't want to get married because I don't want you to get in trouble. And it's for mm -hmm. her sake. So she joins up with Grindelwald because she wants to be with Kowalski. And so that's why I think it makes sense that she goes back to him because that was her motivation all along was that she just wanted to be with Jacob. And finally, and he's like, hey, listen, I want to be with you. Forget what the, you know, what the Wizarding World thinks. Yeah. And then they get married, you know. Uh, but also, I wish that they delved more into what Queenie had seen in all the years that she was with Grindelwald. Oh, I'm sure dark stuff. I mean, I'm sure she convinced Gosh. herself a long time before the events of Secrets of Dumbledore that she made a mistake and she just mm -hmm. was trapped at that point. And Dumbledore talks about when he was with Grindelwald saying that, you know, he had convinced himself that the good would far outweigh the bad, that any harm that they caused would be far outweighed by the good and the benefits that would take place for wizard and kind. Um, so I think she kind of convinced herself of that. But then she really, and by the time we see her in the beginning of this movie, even you can see that she's disenfranchised, that she's seen through the whole facade and she wants out, but she can't. She can't mm -hmm. get out because she's become an invaluable asset to Grindelwald. And if she leaves, he's going to kill her. Like that's, that's yeah. just where she gonna it's going to be. Yeah. Where would she go? You could tell um, she looked like she was disassociating the whole time. She looked like she just wasn't mm. there. She was like a shell of herself. And, you know, I think her I would vibrant pink. Right. And her That's hair true. was like bleach blonde instead of like Ooh, the like grassier blonde. Yeah, it was very uh, kind of Malfoyish. Yeah, you could definitely see like they made a character change for her. Ooh, speaking of Malfoys, check this out. Here's a connection. The bleach platinum blonde hair. Malfoys are also known to have that kind of hair. Who else betrays a dark lord? At the very last minute, mm -hmm, the Malfoys abandoned the mission. Oh yeah, I like that. I was about to say Queenie at the beginning of this movie looks like Lucius Malfoy in uh, Half Blood Prince. His hair was never that toned though. His hair was always kind of like a brassier blonde, and then you know Draco's hair got better in Half Blood Prince, I think too. Oh, it's Deathly Hallows. It's Deathly Hallows it's Deathly where Hallows? Lucius comes back from Azkaban. Yes, Lucius hair comes looks back from Azkaban. Much it looks better. terrible. Yeah. Their hair looks a lot less uh, brassy towards the end of the series. As a blonde, that's something I do notice when I'm like, oh, bad bleach, <laughs> really bad bleach. Look at that. But yeah, I I liked Queenie. I can't fault her for being so detached and kind of retreating into herself, especially if you can hear people's thoughts all day and you're watching the super dark wizard killing animals and bringing them back to life. It's just a lot to take in. That's a lot yeah. of like a... 
almost like a hostage trauma for her because she's like, crap, I'm in this situation. I want out, but how do I get out? Yeah. And it's not like a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't she doesn't compartmentalize it and idealize uh, Grindelwald. She desperately wants to get out, but it's just like she couldn't. And that was what she says to Kowalski. Like, it's too late for me. I'm too far gone. It's too late for me to come back. And so I think that we're going to see a Queenie who's less naive, not the naive Queenie that we see in the first movie. Another person we don't see, Abernathy. You guys remember Abernathy? Did he not die? No, Abernathy didn't die, but I'll tell you what, the actor, he's doing three years. (laughs) Oh, no. Is he? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he got he got busted on some uh, some sexual assault stuff. What? Oh, oh no, that's Aber- gonna, I don't you don't know, need to look it up. Abernathy is the guy rating. with the little snake tongue. Ew. Abernathy the was the dude the who Holly juiced himself to look like Grindelwald in Crimes of Grindelwald. Yep. Oh, but yeah. he was one of the ministry guys. He was in the American ministry. He was part of Makuza yep. in the first movie. And he has that that interaction with Queenie. That's what made me think of it was that interaction he has with Queenie where Queenie's like, oh, it's just lady stuff in my my suitcase. Um, oh, so here's one thing that I wanted to talk about, you know, and I, I'm a lover of history and I've brought this to many different topics, many different podcasts, kind of looking at what's going on in the muggle world in history, in the real world, in history at the moments of these movies that are taking place. One thing that's interesting is it's 1932. The whole plot is the wizarding election that's taking place. You guys know what else was happening in Germany in 1932? Nazi takeover. Mm -hmm. Um, A different presidential election. Yep. And who was running in that presidential election? Adolf Hitler and all the guys that died the night after. (laughs) Adolf Hitler. Actually, Adolf Hitler lost that election in 1932. He loses the election. The president of Germany is Paul von Hindenburg, and he uh, appoints Hitler because Hitler is like 30. He won like 36 percent of the popular vote in this election. And so he names Hitler chancellor of Germany. And so Hitler becomes chancellor of Germany. He's not president, but then he gets like all of this power thrown his way. And then when President Hindenburg dies in 1933, Adolf Hitler becomes the president like they merge the two offices together and he rises to power. But it's it's so interesting, the parallels, because, I mean, we've talked about this before in the last episode where we talked about the secrets of Dumbledore and our predictions for the movie. I talked about how there's clear Adolf Hitler and Nazi callbacks or like, you know, homages to that. I shouldn't say homage like it's a way that they're honoring it. But they're they're very reminiscent. The things that are taking place with Grindelwald reflect uh, what was happening with the Nazi regime. Oh, that definitely. it was like this small grassroots thing that starts up in the 20s and builds up to this full on wizarding war and reflecting what happened. I mean, Adolf Hitler was was Time magazine's man of the year. Yeah. You not know, age and, well. and that did Ooh. not age well, you know, <laughs> might have to do you know an editorial on that one. But we see that it's an election that's centered around it throughout this uh, movie, and Grindelwald is allowed to run. And you know what? I, I gotta say, I don't know if Vogel was doing the wrong thing on that. I guess this might be my Americanism as a free speech lover. I think Vogel might have been a little bit right where he's like, you know, like, hey, let him run. But if uh, if the people shut him down, that'll be the end of it. If they don't vote him in, like, it'll be over. And this whole, you know, movement that he started, it will be done. Right. I mean, but the big problem is that he exonerates Grindelwald of all of his crimes. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's, 
you're literally letting a criminal run, but he's kind of hiding behind this, like, well, you know, it's like, oh, this is this is the right thing to do. And then Dumbledore is like, oh, Vogel chose what was easy instead of what was right. And there's like no backlash either, because you can see the the German people love them some Grindelwald. And that yeah. was my big disappointment in Mad yeah. Mickelson's performance. I was like, well, maybe at least Grindelwald will be German or have like, you know, a German accent now. And nope, sure didn't. What accent did he have? I think he's just like basic Brit, you know? Well, he's, he's <laughs> I supposed think supposed to have some is, kind of like Eastern Danish, European accent, right? If he went right. to Durmstrang, yeah. then he would have been in that Eastern Europe area. Yeah, Mads Mikkelsen is hmm. Danish. And I think it's just his normal voice. That's what I thought it was, too. I didn't think he was using one, but that, he doesn't really have a, 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 an accent. That's what um, you get with Mads Mikkelsen, you know? Whenever he's acting, he's only just acting as Mads. He's only That's... him, you know? Especially when he was Tristan in King Arthur. Yeah. And what does that say if he plays Hannibal Lecter and Grindelwald? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Don't know this guy, but interesting, right? Uh-huh. I also... So, like you said, Rob, about Nazi Germany coming into power during the same time that this was going down, I was curious, you know, super off topic from this movie, but kind of, you know... It, Makes sense why they don't mention anything happening in the muggle world because not once do we hear about Princess Diana. Yep, I have already said that ever, before, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I just don't understand. I don't know. I don't understand because they draw the parallels, but then you know, nothing really. There's it's soft world building. That's why I have to remind myself that I want well, hard Scrimgeour world building. visits the muggle prime minister. He visits the Muggle Prime Minister at one point in the books, and that's like, there's nothing other than that. And that's so interesting that they would have, you know, these liaisons between the Muggle and the magical world, but, you know, we don't hear anything else about it. We need a series from that guy's point of view. I want to hear it. <laughs> I want to know what goes down. How does this person in power get to break the Statue of Secrecy and know all about the wizarding world? But then the Wizarding World doesn't really know anything about the Muggle world. Their Muggle studies needs to be revamped. Yeah. <laughs> Contest well, I don't know. After, now. after Charity Burgess got eaten by a snake, you know, or Burbage, Charity oh. Burbage. She got eaten by a snake. Yeah. And I think that was the end of the Muggle Muggle studies department at Hogwarts. Man, they need to send out owls. I'll apply. <laughs> I can go teach them. It's like nine... 35 I'm looking over all my looking over all my notes here I hit most of my notes except for the fact and if we I don't know if you guys addressed it I think Newt is on the spectrum and I love that oh yeah well yeah well that's uh, that's I think that's been uh it's not pretty, pretty written into it though is it I don't think that they've they've mentioned it and I'm glad that they haven't because they I don't, like like that. make a big deal about it um, you know, they say is. that he's, it, you know, and that's what they say throughout the series. It's like, oh, it's just who he is. You know what I mean? Like, and that's just uh, him. I like that they don't make a huge deal about it uh, because, you know, it, it just shows that even like with that, like he's he's a genius in his field. Right. I just think with him potentially, you know, being on the spectrum, magical people are like less likely to have muggle or like non-magical ailments right so like they use a different toothpaste they i don't think i've ever heard of anyone dying of a heart attack so it's just interesting that we would have non-magical um, neurological differences mm -hmm. that travel into the magical world i just think that's interesting 
Oh, I have a whole. Oh, that's never thought take. about that. I have a whole thing of how the psychology of adulthood and aging changes your like aspects of your house, and how you could potentially change houses. Well, Dumbledore said that you know he, he thinks that they sort people into houses they too soon. Do at mm-hmm. eleven, you're either smart, backstabbing, too kind, or brave. Like that's it, right? Well, at eleven, I think the word that Slytherins prefer is evil. <laughs> oh, evil. That's right. I'm sorry. Backstabbing is not a good word. And at 11, <laughs> like you're just a shell of what you've been raised at, too, because you're, you're yeah. just a representation of what you know and your family values and your fa- family values. Right. Unless 11, you are a rebellious an, child. An <laughs> Who's the rebellious child? You or Justin? That's I mean, you're a pastor and he's not. So well, I, I think know. I think uh, I think our parents are are mixtures of the two. I think my mom's I think my mom's Gryffindor and my dad's Hufflepuff. So yeah. So I think that's a I think that's a fair that's pretty cool. Even uh even even balance. That is. All right. We were talking I got us off on a rabbit trail with Nate's commander being neurodivergent, but then you know, everything else that comes with that. Then if he is, what does that mean for Wizarding World having other diagnoses? That's a great topic. Because that's a full podcast. Oh yeah. Because Grindelwald is definitely a narcissist. Mm-hmm. I'll get my DSM out. We'll diagnose him. We went through all of thought. my topics. The only other thing that I had on paper was about like what the whole purpose of having the blood pact physically was. Yeah, why did he have it as a bracelet? And why didn't um, Grindelwald have one? Right. Like there's only one. And then did it matter at all who had it? Like if Grindelwald ever tried to go against Albus, would the necklace then seek out Grindelwald? Or is it only mm-hmm. for the holder? That was that was one of my things. I was like, Who has so custody? What was, whole, what was the whole point of who has custody, right, of the necklace? Uh-huh. Because it doesn't help you in, like, controlling your behaviors. It doesn't help you as far as, like, oh, I have the necklace, so now I can do whatever I want, regardless sure. of the blood pack. Yeah, I mean, well, that was clear. The whole point of this movie was going to be dealing with the blood pact, like. Mm -hmm. And then I was surprised, like, oh, this whole thing's about an election. I thought they were. I thought they were going to spend the whole time trying to figure out how to break this stinking blood pact, and then it just happens, like accidentally. This happens. It's It's not even what they're trying to do. Yeah, that is interesting. Why did Dumbledore have it? Well, yeah. Why would he? Why would he keep it? Got it. But yeah, like, why would he keep it? Because it, it seemed like it hindered him more to have it than it did for him not to have it. Yeah, why wouldn't he just put it, like, up in the room where Rowena Ravenclaw's diadem is and just hide it up there, right? Yeah, just hide it in the room of requirement. Why um, not? Here's another question. Mm-hmm. If Teddy the Niffler could steal it, that means that you can remove it. Right. Which raises the question, why don't you just take it off, Albus? Maybe he liked it. I think maybe he liked (laughs) Maybe he was like pining over him and he's like, oh man, I miss him. I miss what we used to have. Yeah, he was sentimental, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he was sad and having to, you know, grieve the loss of what could have been. And then also, you know, his friend and the fact that, you know, he went dark. That's sad. You almost have to grieve it while they're alive, right? Because mm-hmm. he there did mi- lose him. Yeah, there might be something to that because uh, once the blood pact breaks, you know, Grindelwald says to Dumbledore, who will love you now, Dumbledore? 
and Albus turns back and says, I'm all alone. And it's like this uh, melancholy moment. And then who doesn't join in in the wedding celebration? Dumbledore. Albus. Mm-hmm. We leave the we end the movie with Albus Dumbledore exactly as he said he was all mm-hmm. alone. He's reminded that like he knows that his love will never come to fruition. So yep. he sees other people relishing and celebrating in their love, but he knows it's not for him. Unfortunately, he chose he chose poorly in a in a uh, in a potential person, just like Johnny Depp. So sad. Ugh. And that's so how we sad. bring it full circle. <laughs> I have one more uh, thing to talk about. The one thing that just bothered me, I said before that my my problem with the movie is it feels like a heist movie, but it's just the heist. And you don't get to see Dumbledore's thought process throughout this. You don't get to look into his mind and see what he's thinking. You don't get to see how he's playing this 4D chess game and the shell game that's going on. And it, it feels like they don't really explain the stuff. And you go along for the ride thing and like, okay, well, they'll eventually like, have Dumbledore explain like his thought process throughout and what was going, going through his mind. But then you've got Grindelwald who's supposed to be Dumbledore's equal in every way. They're, they're, they're the brightest and most powerful wizards of their time. Mm-hmm. And Albus is playing this 40 chess game, but Gellert doesn't do anything like Falling he doesn't for every adapt trick. his plans. Mm-hmm. He doesn't adapt his plans to what, what's going on or in response to things. And he's a seer. The dude's a seer, but like, yeah. even with the countersight, like he's not putting things together or like changing plans or, and Dumbledore, I love that it was like Dumbledore's first army, Dumbledore's army versus Grindelwald's army. And like, it feels like these dark lords can't get any quality people because these guys like are total chumps or total pushovers. You're Grindelwald. You think you'd be able to get some competent people. Like there's, there's interesting parallelisms because both of them have a beautiful woman on the side and a creepy dude who mumbles. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it just feels like anytime I didn't feel like there was any point where Grindelwald's team really caused big trouble. <laughs> like, or like, there's the one scene in the German Ministry where they kind of like ambush them, but they get away. Right. And it's just Theseus it gets captured. Like, it feels like they're not evenly matched as they should be. Yeah, I was waiting for like Death Eater situation where they all come in and like make a mess of everything. I was waiting for that with Grindelwald's followers and we didn't really get that. We got him basically crowd surfing through that crowd when they were cheering for him. But that's all we got. We didn't get them like causing a mess. We never that was got an that interesting moment too feel. when he's crowd surfing. Like the people it love was. him so much. Grindelwald. You could see he was like drunk on the power in that moment. Yeah. And in that moment, I'm like, oh yeah, this guy, he thinks he's the best person in the world for this. And so, yeah, narcissist. He's bought the hype. He's <laughs> yeah. bought his own hype. And that's why I talk about in the secrets because I, I, I still am the, in the camp that I don't think that Grindelwald really feels the same way that Albus does. Oh, no, because he he's just like a him. psychopathic manipulator who just like he's such a narcissist, like all he can love, all he's capable of loving and caring for is himself. Mm-mm. Maybe that's why Mm-mm. he didn't want to hold on to the blood pact, because he you didn't know, feel anything deeper than just using Dumbledore for what he needed him for. I feel like well, there was he no did, dire. Though. He held there on was, to it. There was no dire need to get the blood pact back. Though, well, he didn't wear like. it like as his bracelet or whatever. Yeah, he never tried to get it back. Yeah, and he wasn't like, oh, I, I missed my right charm bracelet. That. You know, he's like, oh, you can have it. It's fine. 
other than what he said in the yeah in the coffee house where he's like oh it's still trying to get used to the feeling of it not being there or something like that um, well, that could have been a you know a well-timed comment and aimed at manipulation instead of at genuineness you're trying to tell me that that grindelwald is just trying to manipulate people i mean maybe. don't believe it maybe <laughs> i don't know i guess we'll find out because grindelwald was talking to me and he was saying all these nice things about me wow and he told I me that you would say things like this hillary he told me that you would say things like this you might have gone and you know what side. i think gellert might have been right wow as flipping dave it would, on me <laughs> as old dave would say if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck and looks like a duck it's a duck <laughs> no truer words have ever been said <laughs> <laughs> no <truth. laughs> wow oh Amazing. man you know i think that a great part of the movie though was these are probably some of the best wizard duels that we've seen throughout any harry potter movie oh yeah like it's I not like... just it's not just beams touching like it's ghostbusters 4 you know what yeah. i mean like it's 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 all <laughs> and i love <laughs> lally lally and theseus when they're dueling uh lally especially like the, they use the environment. Yeah. Like they, like mm -hmm. Lally's got, Lally must be an expert in book charms. Like we talked about Aberforth being the mirror master. Like Lally's the paper and book master. Like she, she's always like doing all this book related stuff, but she like is using all the glass bobbles and like throws those under people and, and they throw mm -hmm. people into a wall and stuff. Oh, it best was, part. It was Very awesome. Cool. And I love that it's the nonverbal stuff that's going on too. It just feels like that's what wizarding duels should look like instead of just beams touching and trying like, and sitting there with one spell on each of you, like trying to overpower the other. Like it felt more like a shootout mm -hmm. uh, that was taking place. I feel like it depicted what I thought of when I read the original Harry Potter books. Right. So like, I thought that duels would have looked like this instead of what we got with Harry and Voldemort, where, like you said, they're, like, basically playing tug-of-war. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't think that was really accurate. I thought it would people, you know, throwing jinxes and hexes left and right and kind of, you know, things mix-matching and maybe people getting hit with the wrong curse. Like, I liked that. I think that, like I said, with the her throwing the book, making a bridge, that was one of my favorite parts. I thought it was very cool how they use the environment. I think at some point someone got a teacup thrown. Just very, very visually well done. It was clever. And I think wow, it showed how bright Lally and, and Theseus are and how, mm -hmm. like, how really how they capable can they are. Oh, Justin mentioned something about the suitcases. Jay, you oh, were talking yeah. about the briefcases and how, why couldn't they just, you know, put a duplication charm on them? Why do you have to bring them to a muggle? Because I thought about this, because I thought that, and uh, it seemed like Bunty's whole side plot, because that's literally all she's responsible for, is just sending in the sending in the suitcase to have it reproduced. Yeah. Uh, and if all you could do is just put the Gemino charm on it that's like, what i was going to say it feels <laughs> like it feels like that whole side plot is absolutely useless well, and it felt and like they were just throwing a bone to bunty like uh bunty i know you want to be involved uh, so here send this to a muggle uh manufacturer of seek uh, briefcases but here's my thought because if you're duplicating you're duplicating not just that object but you're duplicating the contents of it and oh. its briefcase is extremely complex because sure. it's got that charm has on the it, charms on it, it makes it it's like that infinite you know like 
size of it. Like you're not, it's basically like he's got a whole like ranch inside of his suitcase. That makes sense. Could you and imagine all, all those extra animal creatures in there? Um, <laughs> and so you'd be duplicating all of those. And that's kind of weird. Right. And maybe the Gemino charm doesn't work on living things. Like, cause nobody like Gemino's themselves. I don't know. That was, that was kind of my thoughts on it. I think that maybe that's true. Uh, Newt's suitcase is too complex because of the different charms and enchantments that are already there. Also, there's all of these magic creatures. He's got a whole man- magical menagerie. Yeah, you know, living in his suitcase. He has a zoo. He has a pond. Like he's got a he, lot going on. He's got the kelpsy that I'm still mad. The kelpsy, like, what was the point of the kelpsy in Crimes of Grindelwald? <laughs> hey, the kelpsy must have done something bad to not be featured in the new one. So it was just absolutely okay. nothing. Even the baby nifflers came back from Crimes of Grindelwald. The baby <laughs> nifflers cute. made a comeback. And it was great to see them grow. Apparently, nifflers don't grow very long and uh, grow very much in six years because it looked like it was only like six months had passed. When How the, long do they live? Oh, that's a good question. And when that I have to I'm look not, it up later. I, I mean, I, 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 should, I don't know. I'm not a biologist either. I'm not a zoologist. Oh, it did. <laughs> What how nifflers? How long do they uh, live? It's one creature manages to escape in that one size tiny. That's um, cute. A Niffler can give birth to as many as eight young per litter, according to Newt's research on his book. Where's um, the mom Niffler? Can they just like spontaneously reproduce? Or? I mean, they're not like Komodo dragons. <laughs> I like, don't know. They're nearly impossible to train. I know they're marsupials and they get up to some weird stuff, those marsupials. I don't know where Nifflers are uh, native to, but I'm guessing it's Australia. Oh my goodness. I feel like half of these... Fantastic Beach just originated in Australia, and then they said, "Ah, uh, you're actually magical. Come with us." Right, right. <laughs> Why like... didn't this take place in Australia? We need an Australian Steve Irwin style. Yeah, we need to get Bindi Irwin Beast. on uh, on the Fantastic Beasts. I mean, come on, that'd be great. Would have been perfect. So, my question: Where does this where does this movie fall in the rankings as far as? Uh the Fantastic Beast series go. For me, it's the worst of the three. Oh. Yeah. I think I like the the first one most. I like the first one most, and I think I liked this one second. But I mean, I don't know if I like it that much more than the second one to begin with anyways. Honestly. Can they tie? Can they tie for a second? You make the rules. It's your podcast, (laughs) I guess. Um, Justin's famous for breaking the rules whenever we have ranking systems. Like, you start... (laughs) He was throwing in the cursed child and stuff. I'm still 25 pages into that. I've been 25 <laughs> pages into it since I bought the book. I will, probably won't finish it. It's all right. Um, so I would rank the first one as my number one and then second. Yeah, just go one, two, three in order. Uh-huh. I feel like the second one was better. And honestly, the only part that stands out in the second one is when Teddy shoots across the room on the champagne cork. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of parts in Grindelwald's duel on the second one was okay. I liked Johnny Depp as Grindelwald a little bit better, but yeah, Teddy steals the show for me. I think you he's know, the reason why I'm sticking with the movie. We've talked about Teddy an awful lot, but somebody who's returned who we haven't gotten a lot of credit because he's very Wiggy. much in the he's in the back pocket pick. Pick. Um, pick is cute. Or as He's Justin calls him, Twiggy. <laughs> <laughs> He's so that's, cute. What, that's a, He's this that's movie's not his name. Groot, right? <laughs> He's basically what? Groot. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's a bow truckle. He's a cute guy. Yeah, pick is pick is like. I mean, I feel like he's like the most valuable of the of the menagerie. You know, just to have somebody who can pick locks and stuff. That was that was huge. Um, yeah, I I'd have to uh, I'd have to come in with a different one. Uh, and this is an unpopular opinion. I know this isn't going to be a popular take, but I'd say Crimes of Grindelwald is my favorite of the three. Wow. I think if you take out Nagini and like you really you you got to remember how great that rally scene is as far as Johnny Depp's performance as Grindelwald, where you have that whole I mean, just watch that scene again. And when he's <laughs> casting Ortega Horribilis, he's when he's casting that spell. He he looks like he's so masterful and so efficient at the magic. He's just he looks like he's conducting a symphony. And it's just it's like the most beautifully horrifying thing you've ever seen that this dude is like casting this powerful magic so nonchalantly. Oh, I love that. I love that scene. Um I I, I thought Johnny Depp was a much better Grindelwald as far as just the more believable uh menacing character. Uh, you saw him and like, you even see in that scene, like how he was like a good political figure, you know, because he plays off that, that role so well, mm -hmm. he plays right into the hands of the ministry people who come in. Um, and you know, once one person dies and he like makes a big show of her dying and he's like, everyone leave from this place. And he tells him, he's like, uh, I don't want to alarm you, but we have a guest from the ministry. Orers are here right now. And they consider you the enemy. They consider you the threat. And then when one of them gets killed, uh, he's like, you know, leave from this place. Tell everyone what you've seen and that we weren't the ones to, to shed blood. Yeah, and it was like, such a great time, yeah. but it was, team. it was Abernathy. Yeah. You, <laughs> it was yeah right. It wasn't Abernathy. Wasn't it? No, it was some, it was some, some greenhorn, some greenhorn who didn't know the difference between his taser and an Avada Kedavra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor guy. That guy was that guy was like taser taser. <laughs> Somehow I cast an Avada Kedavra. I don't know what happened. <laughs> oh my goodness. Killed him uh, instantly. <laughs> killed that killed that poor woman instantly. But man, it was just a it was a a, a brilliant scene. Um even the credence stuff I think was very nice. Um I was fine. I was totally glad that they killed Lita Lestrange at the end of the movie anyway. Uh -huh. Um you know, it was just, it was good. They have, they had scary, scary, hot French lady who you, you still didn't know her name, but she was terrifying. A huge improvement over Bellatrix Lestrange uh, as a like, you know, scary, you know, number two devoted follower to the Dark Lord. You think I, don't know I don't know about that, but a topic for another day. I love Bellatrix. I mean, Helena Bonham Carter, Carter is great, but man, gotta use a brush, Bellatrix, you know, it's... Well, I think her hair draws an interesting parallel to Hermione's hair. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Now you've converted me on this. Yeah, I do really like Bellatrix. <laughs> this might I, be a first. <laughs> I want to have a whole like discussion on the Marauders and their era, but we don't really know much. So um, it was all be speculation, but I want to see a Marauder series. So that'd Oh, cool. that'd be that'd be like a great like uh, Paramount Plus series. Man, I need it. Oh, yeah. I want to know why she's so messed up, but I do agree. Crazy hot French lady is an interesting, um, like a quiet version of Bellatrix. She's so scary. She's very quiet. And she's like scary quiet. Yeah. She only talks, I think in, uh, 
in Crimes of Grindelwald. And she talks to Queenie. She talks to Queenie and she talks about how she's deeply devoted to Grindelwald and stuff. Like, and it is like the scariest, most horrifying stuff you've ever seen. And she is like the, she's like the definition of a femme fatale. I was like, man, I feel like this lady's, I feel like Johnny Depp knows this woman personally. It's like, it's almost like he's married to her. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, watch out. She might turn and poison him, but you know, watch out. She might poop on your bed. Yeah. Yeah. And she seems like the kind of, the kind of witch to do that, you know? So I'd say crimes of Grindelwald, number one. Crimes of Grindelwald is number one for me. Then Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Secrets of Dumbledore, Distant Third. I loved Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Like, I think it's very like close this, between those top two, too. There was this charm about Fantastic Beasts. The first one, it brought with it excitement. And it brought with it this lighthearted, fun adventure. But right. I think all of us Harry Potter fans were looking for. Especially like after... Deathly Hallows, like and it was the so series dark, progressed, so the dark. series was so dark. And then a couple years later, we get Fantastic Beasts, and it's like the polar opposite, where it's colorful, it is awe-inspiring. It is. Well, you must not remember something... creepy little girl. <laughs> my, oh, yeah. my, yeah. your mother, <laughs> which is gonna die <laughs> like that. Apparently, you're forgetting creepy little girl who took off time from being in the ring to come and be filmed. <laughs> I think it, you know, like just, I agree with Justin. I, it was what we needed, like as Potter fans, since we grew up with the films, right? We grew up with it. We grew up, mm-hmm. I was like about the same age as everyone going through the films. Like I watched or I read the first one when I was like 10 or 11, uh, maybe before that even. And so, you know, now watching these, like, oh, these are adults. They're doing adult jobs. You can kind of like, you know, self insert yourself, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could do that? So it's nice that it grew with us. And then, you know, you get to go on these new adventures. And wouldn't it be so cool to have a Niffler in my backyard running around instead of two of my rabbits? Um, (laughs) I think that'd be so just so amazing and so cool. And as much as I said, you know, the world building and the magic is very like soft magic. I think the world building within the Fantastic Beasts like franchise is very interesting and I just wish that they would focus on the beasts and not yeah. so much the politics and the everything else. I think the, like just the, the Grindelwald plot. I yeah. Think, for the Fantastic Beasts, it. it took us away mm-hmm. from the perspective that we were used to. With Harry Potter, our perspective was from Harry's eyes. Mm-hmm. And so and with Newt Fantastic was our Harry. Beasts, like we got a new perspective and we all of a sudden could see this world through different eyes. And Mm -hmm. then in the second movie, they introduce Dumbledore and Grindelwald. And I feel like we just went back to the perspective that we already had. If that makes sense. Now that we've talked about the first Fantastic Beast, I'm remembering the huge plot twist when you find out that Credence is the Obscurus. And I'll tell you what, I think I'm going back. I'm going back. I'm flipping my order. And then they squashed his role as quick as they squashed Rose Tico's role in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think anybody mm-hmm. wept over that, except for... I miss Rose. Know, Maybe you. Know, you. Rose. <laughs> Rose and Justin crying it out. Yeah, yeah, Rob, I was getting a little worried. I think you forgot how awesome Thunderhawk was. Yeah, Frank? Is that what his name was? <laughs> yeah, that's what I named my Zapdos. Frank the Thunderhawk. <laughs> oh, man. I think I, okay. I'm 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 switching it back. I'm switching it back. Flip flopping. Not the first time it's happened on the podcast. 
Somewhere Jason is shaking his head. <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. Oh, gosh. And Justin just goes along with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is emotional and character development for you. And we support that here. We support yeah, growth. Yeah. So you can change your mind. It's okay. Go for it. Uh, I Who cares? So what I'm going to flip says? very close, very close. But I think Fantastic Beast is uh, probably number one. Also, because of the Credence plot. Uh, that was a plot twist that I think was a genuine one. Like there were no like big plot twists in this movie. And I think that was a disappointment because even like at the very end when it's like Bunty gives the suitcase and they it's like, oh no, all hope is lost. Newt lost his suitcase. I'm like, all right, are we all supposed to just forget that Bunty's out there? Yep. Because when right. Alicia, Alicia leaned over to me once all of them had just left and that whole shell game scene had just begun. She was like, who do you think has the the real case? And I was like, I, I, I feel like it's got to be Bunty because she's just been so useless throughout this entire movie. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they have to have her do it just to justify her being in this movie. Bunty um, all of a sudden just shows up and it's like there's they're having this mass, this huge election and everyone and anyone can just walk up this mountain and get as close as they want to all of the people running. They get to the top of the mountain without any like security or anything. And they're like, oh yeah, uh, Grindelwald, he's tricking all of you. And you're like, how did he even get there? Who's watching Who's watching the crowd? He doesn't even go here. <laughs> what, Bunty just walks up. Yeah. Bunty just walks up. Nobody oh, she's touches dressed her. As like, he, she's dressed as like the people that are as... there. Like but she's dressed as one of them. You'd think they'd have like wards. But like Nuke did, or charmed shields or something. Right, I'm Nuke just walks right up. Albus just walks right up to the top of the temple, right up there to the front step. Even Credence, Credence is right there too. Yep. I was like, who else? Who is anybody watching security? No one even shut the door. <laughs> the door's <laughs> wide open. Come on in, guys. Party. Yeah, there was no, there was no plot twist. Also, Fantastic Beast has that great speakeasy scene, where it's like the Goblin Mafia running this speakeasy where they got giggle water and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. I think I think that's another another win. I'll tell you what, I need to watch Fantastic Beasts again because Me before too. I went and saw the movie, I saw Crimes of Grindelwald because I had only seen that like twice before. And I was like, I need to see Crimes of Grindelwald because I like to totally forgot stuff. And I think maybe I'm, I'm, I'm favoring Crimes of Grindelwald a little bit more because I've seen it more recently. But now we're talking about it and the things that took place gotta say i think fantastic beasts and where to find them is probably the best of the three and then close close crimes of grindelwald distant third secrets of dumbledore <laughs> i mean was it really a secret no exactly we already knew it's like well, was the secret it's like the backstory of dumbledore is what, what was the secret was the secret that dumbledore had it was aberforth for grindelwald or i think it was the secret of aberforth well that's what yeah. we talked about in the secrets podcast we were like yeah the secrets mm -hmm. out alby <laughs> Dude, we know. It's all good. Thanks, you guys, for joining us for this episode of the Slug Club Podcast. If you like the conversation and you want to hear more, you can find the Slug Club Podcast on Spotify or also on Apple Podcasts. If you want to join in on the conversation and give us ideas for new conversations, new podcast episodes, you can follow us on our social media at the Slug Club on Instagram or on Facebook. We'll see you guys later, but until then, mischief managed. 
The Slug Club podcast is a creative discussion between Harry Potter fans and has no affiliation whatsoever with Warner Brothers, J.K. Rowling, or any of their affiliates. All opinions expressed in the Slug Club podcast are completely our own. No house elves were harmed in the making of this episode.